0: sure
1: It is comforting, though, that uh, we're not going to be alone in this. Would you please open your Bibles to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians? And uh, we'll be spending some time in chapter 8 as well as chapter 9. And uh, remember that the Word, when it was given to us, was given to us in scrolls, and so the chapter divisions weren't there. And I, I think they were probably put by those who compiled the scripture just to keep preachers from preaching so long. And so they kept them in chapters, but that's not going to make any difference today anyway. So we'll be looking at chapters 8 and 9. A common practice in our country today is for pollsters to conduct polls to uh, see public opinion. And almost on a daily basis, you hear, well, here are the approval numbers or disapproval numbers for this policy or the new tax plan, or of course, we continually hear uh, how many approve or disapprove of President Trump. And, and by the way, this morning, we're not going to be conducting a poll for the approval or disapproval of our, of our president, okay? Uh, nor will we be doing a poll for the approval or disapproval of your pastor, because I think my feelings would probably be hurt a little bit, but today we will be conducting an opinion poll. And you will be given an opportunity to express your opinion regarding two possible directions that I can go in our lesson this morning. The first option is this, and don't raise your hand uh, at least yet. The first option is for me to preach a sermon on God's grace. And if you were raised in church, you know that we call grace, it's unmerited favor. And, And we sing all about this grace in old songs such as Amazing Grace, Wonderful Grace of Jesus, it's all because of God's Amazing Grace, and then there are a number of newer songs just entitled Grace. So first option, option number one, is for me to preach on the topic of grace. But then the other option is for me to preach a sermon on giving. Yeah, you heard me right, I don't know why that was so funny. A sermon on giving. So, two options. Are, are you ready to vote? And I'm sure this is going to be a really close vote. How many of you would like for me to preach on God's grace? Just raise your hands. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, how many of you would like a sermon on giving? Wow. Oh. <laughs> And then how many of you don't give a rip because you don't listen anyway? <laughs> All right, that's you, Larry. I knew that would be you. Thanks for your input. Um, and I'm going to try to be a good politician this morning and attempt to satisfy both sides. And, and with God's help, I'm going to preach at the same time a message on both grace and giving. Because grace and giving should not be separated. Grace and giving are not competing subjects. Grace and giving are teammates. Grace and giving go together. And so today, uh, today I want to talk to you about the grace of giving. And I'll admit that this phrase, uh, the, the grace of giving, is not original with me. I, I I read it someplace. Actually, I read it in the Bible. So, with permission from the Apostle Paul, we'll borrow his phrase, and we're going to anchor our thoughts to it. Let's let's pray. Um, we probably need prayer this morning, and then we'll begin our lesson. Lord, we we just ask you to help us as we look at this topic that um, the Apostle Paul taught on uh, to the church at Corinth. And Father, I just pray that you would give us your anointing, Um, Lord, just kind of calm the jitters of people. When we talk about giving, sometimes people get jittery, and I pray that you would just calm our spirits and help us to really tune in and uh, that we would not misinterpret your word, but we would just uh, see what you had to say about this matter. I pray this in your name, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, reads like this. And now, brothers, so speaking to the church at Corinth, to the, to the brethren there at Corinth, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So Paul is bragging on the churches in Macedonia to the church at Corinth. And, and, and by the way, Macedonia would roughly be the area that we call Greece today. And, and let me just show you, um, here's Here's Macedonia. And, and, you know, there, there's Greece down here, but that's kind of the general area. And by the way, this is Albania. We were in Tirana uh, a, a week ago seeing uh, Gabe and Erica. But this is kind of the area where, where the churches were. Um, and catch this about the Macedonian church, verse 2, out of the most severe trial. So they were going through really, really hard times. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, and catch this, and their extreme poverty. So, these were poor people. Welled up in rich generosity. And and, and listen to this, verse 3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. And all of the people said, wow. Skip on down to verse 7, where Paul exhorts the church there at Corinth, using the phrase that we will build on, but just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, for us, see that you also excel in, here it is, this grace of giving. Now, as we begin, I want to make it abundantly clear that this church in Macedonia was not in a thriving economy. Much to the contrary, they were suffering under terrible financial circumstances. Many people in the church had lost their jobs. And so when we talk about giving, if anyone had an excuse not to give, it was probably this church. But, but I want to say something very important that, that I pray you will catch. Be, because of their economic hard times, no doubt their standard of living had changed which happens to all of us, over our lifetime, we all see financial changes. Sometimes the changes are for the better. We, we get better jobs, we get raises, but sometimes things go south financially, jobs are lost, and many of you know about that. Sometimes health crises will drain our resources, some of you know about that. Not to mention that many times divorce will create financial hardships, and plenty of you can relate to that. So the church in Macedonia had no doubt experienced a change in their standard of living. But, but what I want us to understand is that despite the changes in their standard of living, their standard of giving did not change. Now, the amounts of their giving probably changed, as well, uh, will ours. You know, if our income goes up, our giving should go up. If our income goes down, our giving will go down. But God doesn't look at the amount. God looks at the standard. The standard of living will change, but the standard of giving should not change. Now, let me just give you the, the standard of giving for the Macedonian churches. And here, here is the formula that they were following, and I put it in mathematical, mathematical form uh, there in, in your bulletins. But severe trials plus extreme poverty... Plus grace equals rich generosity. That's the formula. Severe trials plus extreme poverty plus grace equals rich generosity. And there's something I, I, I learned that I found interesting. You know, we've all heard of the love offering. In churches, from time to time, they will receive a love offering for a particular need or a, a group, you know, a concert, whatever. But, but do you know where it got its name, love offering? And of course, the concept started in the New Testament. But the love offering actually got its name during the depth of the great depression. And and there were people that would come to church that basically had nothing. And, and, uh, you know, the depression had emptied them of their possessions, but, but they would come to church and say, Lord, in the midst of this crisis, we're going to praise you with the love offering. And it said that many of them would empty their pockets and give all they had to the Lord. And that's where the term love offering got its name. And I've been in different countries where I've seen people give love offerings. I've I've seen people where they will bring their sheep as a love offering. Um, I've seen rice put in the offering plate. Many different times I've seen eggs in the offering plate. And, and by the way, Paul and Krista, you've got, I think, what, 9,000 eggs every day or whatever you get. Thanks for not bringing your tithe in eggs every, every Sunday. Um, but, but love offerings. So, so I have a question for you. According to your income, it says for each of you, according to your income, does your giving qualify as rich generosity? What you gave last year, according to the increase that God gave you, not necessarily what your tax return showed that you made, because we all know you can make a lot of money and take legal deductions and end up looking like you lost money, and it's OK with the government. But I'm not so sure it's okay to do that to God. But according to the increase that God gave you, would your standard of giving qualify as rich generosity? And of course, the question that we've asked different times here at the church is so valid. If you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? And many times people quickly say, well, man, I'd give a generous offering. Well, the true test of what you would do with a million dollars is what you're doing with the $100 or the $20 or the $1 in your pocket right now. You know, Jesus said, he that is faithful in the little things will also be faithful in the big things. And if we don't pay our tithe on 20 bucks, I can assure you that we would have even more difficulty being faithful paying our tithe off of $1 million dollars. And again, those research people, they say that the more money we make, the less percentage we give. Well, we're having fun this morning, so let's keep on learning about grace giving. Let's look in verse 3 again. Uh, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Verse 4, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And what I notice here is that that Paul didn't have to pressure these people to give. No. These people who were in deep poverty, they were suffering, but they urgently pleaded with Paul. They begged him to have the privilege of giving. You know, this past week I was trying to think of a time when I had some of you come up to me urgently pleading, begging to give to particular need. And, And even though many of you are very, very generous in your giving, yet I couldn't remember a time that you were begging me to allow you to give. But these people in Macedonia, even though they had few possessions, even though they were operating out of extreme poverty, they urgently pleaded with Paul to be able to give. And and, and by the way, if, if you're new to this church, one thing I hope that you've learned or will learn is that I never twist your arm to give. You know, we want you to give willingly. And as your pastor, you have my word that I will never shame you nor manipulate you into giving. Now, I will encourage you to give especially since the Bible talks about giving over and over. In fact, the Bible talks about more about money and possessions than it does about prayer. So you expect me to preach on prayer, don't you? And since the Bible talks more about money and possessions than prayer, wouldn't you expect me to preach on giving? So I will preach on giving. But you have my word that I will never pressure you. I want you to give willingly. The Bible says says God loves a joyful giver. And, and just kind of an aside here, I've learned that if we fail to give willingly, we try to hold on to our possessions too tightly, I've found that God knows how to get us to turn loose of our money. Sometimes it's through a medical expense. Sometimes it's through car repairs or washers or refrigerators or hot water heaters that break down. God has a way of prying open our hands to teach us Lessons about holding on to our possessions too tightly. Well, let's keep on reading again verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, let me explain what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, hey, you can't be excused from giving just because of your faith. Remember it says, "In, in faith... You can't be excused from giving because of your speech. Maybe you teach. Maybe you preach. You you can't be excused from giving just because of that. You you can't be excused from giving because of your knowledge. Maybe maybe you're super knowledgeable about the word. Paul says, thank God that you've got knowledge. Thank God that you give yourselves in speech and in faith. But he said, make sure that you excel in the grace of giving. Which means this, there is no ministry that will excuse you from grace giving. You know, as your pastor, my preaching and my teaching, and I know the joke is that I only work one day a week. You accuse me that because you're just jealous. I actually think I'm in the slow class because I can't quite get everything done in one day. But, But the hours that I try to devote to this church on a weekly basis does not excuse me from giving. And the same with you. You, you. you can't say, well, I lead a small group, or I help clean the church, and so I'll just count that as my tithe. It's wonderful that you do those things. And, and I believe the tithing of our time is a biblical concept. And those of you that clean the church, mow the lawn, and by the way, we could still use a couple more mowers if you've got a good mower and a little bit of time. Those of you that help teach, those of you that help feed the kids, that's wonderful. Thank you. But those things are not a substitute for giving verse 8. I'm not commanding you but but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So in this verse and the next we see a couple of reasons for giving. First it says that giving is a test of the sincerity of your love. Giving is a test. This is a test. If we sincerely love God, if we sincerely love people, we will give. This is a test. But here's the second reason we should give. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that through His poverty might become rich. You know the biggest reason we should give? Because Jesus gave everything for us. Please know that your motivation to give to this church should not just be so that the church can pay the utility bills and make it warm for us in the winter and cool for us in the summer. Nor should the motivating factor be to give so that you can pay the staff, and, and thanks for doing that. We as a staff appreciate your giving. We couldn't serve full time were it not for your support, but that should not be the motivating factor in your giving. And God forbid that we should just give for a tax deduction. Sure, take advantage of that but that shouldn't be our motivating factor why do we give because jesus gave his all for us verse 11 now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means now this verse brought a smile to my face this week it says make sure that your willingness to do it is matched by your completion of it you know how many people get caught up in the moment and say oh yes i'll give to this cause i'll help support this missionary but after the Initial emotional moment is over, they stop. Paul says, Make sure you follow through. If you commit to supporting a missionary, follow through. Follow through with your commitment. If you make a pledge to support a particular ministry, follow through. Furthermore, when it comes to the matter of giving, don't just plan and talk about it forever without doing anything. You know, some people are waiting, uh, it's kind of like somebody in this community that I'd invited to church for years, and, and they said, Joe, we're trying to get things lined out to come. I thought, quit trying to get things lined out to come, and just come. Just come. It's the same way with giving, and you know, some people are waiting for that raise, or they're waiting for their income tax refund, or, or they're waiting for the kids to get on their own, good luck there, or are they're waiting until they have a certain amount in savings, or this or that. Good luck there. Quit waiting. Start giving now. Amen. Amen. You say, well, where should I give? Well, first of all, give to the ministries of this church. You know, there's some people that find a church, call it their church home, but they give their money to every other place except where they're receiving their spiritual food. So give to your home church. You say, well, pastor, I don't agree with every way that this church spends their money. Surprise! Surprise! Neither do I. I'm the pastor, and I don't always agree with every financial decision around here. And I'm not being critical. I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but I don't agree with every financial decision. But then neither do my wife and I agree on our all of our expenditures. Is it just us, or do you and your wife or husband, do you ever disagree <laughs> on, on the way you spend your money? I, and I know, Luella, you haven't had that problem, Luella, but... Um, anybody just be honest with anybody okay good i'm glad that we've got two or three honest people here in this church um so in fact one of the leading causes of fights in a marriage money so you probably won't agree with every financial decision in the church you know when it comes down to it we have all kinds of people we've got those that that they honestly believe we should not have any money in savings and so if we have any money in the bank account it's terrible because they, they believe that you know we, we should just empty it out and invest the money and all of that then you have got all of those the others that think hey we've got to have emergency funds and uh, we've got those that want us to spend more money on technology we want us we have those that want to build more buildings, subsidize this and that. We've got a lot of different opinions. In fact, back to the home, just think of the disagreements that you and your wife, just two of you have over money. <laughs> Multiply that times the 400 plus people that come here on Sunday. That's how many different opinions we have on how we should spend our money. It's kind of overwhelming at times. So, so we won't please you, but, but I can say this. I assure you that God's tithes and offerings will be spent very carefully and that all of our finances will be handled with integrity. So we encourage you to give your, to your home church. And then also be generous in your giving to missions. And you do an amazing job. I was, I was going over this with Diet just a couple of weeks ago and, and saw that last year you gave over $125,000 to missions. Way to go, gang. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. And Gabe and Erica, they're, they're just overwhelmed with your support. And they were telling us just a couple of weeks ago, they said, you know what? We're still getting new people in the church that are giving to us. Seems like almost every month someone new helps support them. And thank you for your giving to missions. Keep it up. And then don't miss out on the joy of giving to your own community. Forget the tax benefit. Just give to somebody in need. Just bless someone out of the clear blue. The other day I was at the drive-thru at McDonald's and I got up to the window and they said, Sir, your bill has been taken care of. It's been paid. I, I didn't recognize the car in front of me and I don't know who to thank. I waved to them. I, I, you know, I felt uncomfortable with that um, what to do. So here's what I decided. I decided to pay it forward, not play it forward, but pay it forward. And I had that chance the other day at the grocery store. Somebody was in front of me. They went to pay for their groceries. Their card didn't work. And they didn't have cash with them. And they were so embarrassed, and I felt so sorry for them. And so without making a big scene, I just put my card in the reader, and I just quietly said, I'll take care of it. And they resisted and said, no, we can't let you do that. I I said, yes. You know, somebody had blessed me at McDonald's. It was my privilege to bless someone else. Verse 12. Oh, no, no, that's that's just good practice. Just pay it forward. Verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to what he does not have so as paul continues talking about the grace of giving the question he poses is not what would you do with it if you had it that's what we like to talk about well if you had a million dollars if you won the lottery what would you do with it no the question is this what are you going to do with what you do have and this is so important because some of you have been financially blessed more than other people. For some of you, it's because you've got a good business head. Others of you, you just got lucky. You were in the right place at the right time. Others of you, your parents started the business and you're enjoying success because of their hard work, whatever. But, but don't forget that all blessings come from God. If you're a good business person with a good business head, it's only because God has blessed you with that. Don't get arrogant and think, well... I'm responsible for that. <laughs> no, God gave you the business smarts. <clears throat> and, and, He can take it away from you just as quickly. How many times have we seen those people with great financial means make some stupid financial decisions and they go bankrupt? So, if God has blessed you with great means, if God has blessed you with a great business head, stay humble. Don't think it's because of you. Realize it's only because of God. We all need to give according to God's blessings to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him. So the question is, has God prospered you? Then give accordingly. And as I've said at different times, remember that if we don't give according to our income, then God may adjust our income according to our giving. So how would you like that? If God would take what you gave and and adjust your income to that, what would that do to your income? Verse 13, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. Now, this is super important, and, and Paul uses the word equality. And I think some people have confused what what he was trying to say. Here's what Paul was not saying. He was not saying, hey, if you've got a lot of money, then you need to give extra and carry the burden of giving for those who don't have much to give. No. That is America's system of welfare. And God did not invent nor sanction America's welfare system. Now, God does have a biblical plan for welfare. And that's for people of the church to help those who are truly needy. Not lazy people, but needy people. You know, God says if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. We're, we're not su- supposed to subsidize and reward laziness. But, but God wants the church to help those who can't help themselves. And, and the book of James gives us some directives here. It says, pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles. That's the biblical system of welfare. But anyway, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, uh, Paul is not saying that grace giving means that we should equalize everything like in communism and, and take from the rich to support the poor. He's simply saying, let there be equal sacrifice. Let the rich man sacrifice equally with the poor man. The amounts will be different, but the sacrifice should be the same. And I've learned. That in a church, it's not necessarily those who have the greatest means that give the most. And thank God for, for those who are able to give large amounts. And we have some of those that do that in this church. But as a whole, the majority of funds in the church come from those who don't make a lot of money. But they believe in rich generosity. And they don't hide behind losses on paper of their tax returns. They give faithfully because of their love for God. One of the most overwhelming stories that I can tell on this took place when we were um, building our new building here. And there was somebody in this this church that loved God so much and wanted to give. This person you wouldn't label as somebody that has great means. I think in heaven they They do. They will. But this person wanted to give and didn't have the cash flow to give. And so do you know what they did? They, um, and I'm not recommending this, but this is what they felt God wanted them to do. They, they refinanced their house. Longer period of time so that they could give more. I tell you what, that, that did something to me because I saw that they had captured what it really meant to be generous and to love God. And they excelled in grace giving. Jesus one day was watching the offering being taken in the temple and there were many, many wealthy people there. They came and probably put in some pretty good sums, but then this little widow came by and all, all she could put in was a couple of pennies. And, but in God's sight, that was more than what the wealthy people had put in. And And this tells me how our Lord measures our gift. It's not by the amount, but it's by the sacrifice. Again, amounts don't impress God. Sacrifice does. But this verse also tells me that poor people are not exempted from giving. This poor widow gave even though she had nothing. And I realize that in a message like this, sometimes those that have means, that they feel like that we're picking on them. And and let me just say that the Bible is not opposed to riches. Just because somebody has riches does not mean that they are arrogant or greedy or anything like that. But but there are two things that the Bible is opposed to, greed and hoarding. You see, the Bible speaks of those who treasure up for themselves riches. And, And the word treasure is the word we get our thesaurus. To get the word thesaurus from. And that really means a collection. You know, some people just collect riches to look at and admire and hoard. And yes, God wants us to enjoy the fruit of our labor, but, but if we've started collecting wealth just so we can hoard it and enjoy it and look at it, then for Jesus' sake, get your wealth in circulation. A bell is no good until you ring it. A song is not a blessing until you sing it. Joy is not joy until you share it. Love is not love until you give it. And wealth is not wealth until you circulate it. Well, Paul continues his teaching on grace giving on into chapter 9. And... um, Verse 2, let's pick up our reading and this will give us some insight into what grace giving will do. Verse 2, for I know your eagerness to help and and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give and and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So catch that last phrase, enthusiastic giving stirred them to action. Giving is contagious and creates enthusiasm for God. And so when you're on, on fire for God... You set other people on fire for God. Then here's another result of giving, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, now I do not teach and I do not believe that when you give, God will has to give you a lot of money. I, I, I do not believe that God has to bless you. But nevertheless... God promises to bless those who give. It may not always be financial blessings. It may be blessings of peace, blessings of influence, blessings of a happy family. God always honors those who practice grace giving. And then the last result of giving is found here in verse 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So it says that men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel. In other words, grace giving is an indication that you have something more than just Sunday morning religion. And then Paul ends this incredible teaching by saying this in verse 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Amen. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And it's like Paul says, okay, you know, as we talk about giving, don't forget about the ultimate gift. And that was God sending His Son Jesus to die for our sins. And yes, the Macedonians gave generously despite their poverty. But, but don't forget that the greatest and the most generous gift ever was God giving His only Son, Jesus, for us. Amen. Thank you. And I was thinking about that this week. When, when, when you consider that gift of God giving His Son, that makes our little piddly 10% seem pretty insignificant. So as we wrap up our study today, again, I'm not going to guilt you or harass you could I just encourage you to practice grace giving let's lose the excuses you know we've all got excuses but let's follow the Macedonian church church who was in extreme poverty under severe persecution but they gave generously and so this morning, I, I, I want to challenge you to just give because God says to give. And again, it's not because this church is desperate for your money. No. You know, God has blessed us. And obviously, if you all quit giving, then we're in trouble. But it's not that we're in trouble. And so that's why we're wanting more money. That has nothing to do with this teaching In fact, I was talking to my wife about this, and I said, honey, I just hate talking on this subject. And she said, well, it's been several years, and yeah, shame on me, it has. But I believe that once we begin to capture what it really is to give and the right motivation, not because, oh, I've got to give my tithe to the church. No, it's not that. We get to give. Because God gave his son, Jesus. Gave us all. Father, Father. I thank you for your word, and I uh, pray that we would just understand that we would be able to capture what it really means to give. Help us, Lord, to be able to give generously. Lord, uh, help us to know where to give. Father, help us to support this church that I believe uh, Lord, you formed here in this community, and down through the 100-plus years of the history of this church, you've allowed it to reach a lot of people. Um, Lord, help us to continue to support missions, and I thank you for the over $125,000 that you allowed us to give to missions, both, both world and home, and Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for those that bless the community, just bless people out of the clear blue and they don't care about a tax deduction. They're just doing it because they love them. They love you. And I pray, Father, that we would just uh, respond and Lord, that we would give generously. And Lord, I do pray for those that are going through difficult times as the Macedonian church, maybe extreme poverty and maybe there's just that suffering I want to pray for them, Lord. Lord, I ask that uh, you would just help them. I realize there are some people that, as we say today, it's just hand-to-mouth, and and they're barely making it. And, God, I don't want to be insensitive to them at all. But, Father, I pray that you would just kind of help us to catch a glimpse of, of the joy, the peace that comes from knowing that we're giving generously. Thank you, God, for loving us so much that you sent Jesus what... What an incredible gift. It's indescribable. Thank you for doing that. That's the reason that we've gathered, because of this indescribable gift. And we love you. And I pray that you would, uh, this week, to help us to keep your principles in mind and that we would follow you in every aspect of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. You're dismissed.